Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Ladies and gentlemen, the sound you hear is a buzzsaw ripping through a painting of George Washington chopping down cherry trees. It's time for Professor Buzzkill. Busting myths and taking names. That's right, Buzzkillers. It's the old professor here, back again, busting myths, taking names, data-driven and gluten-free. And we're here this week to talk about the 1860 election. Why the 1860 election? Because it was one of the, perhaps the most consequential election in American history, or certainly one of them, but it was also an election where the losing contestants did not accept the outcome. And since we're in election season right now, Buzzkillers, this could not be more timely. With me is Professor Perry Blast. Professor, how are you? Well, I'm doing good today. Last Professor time, <laughs> last time you were on the show, we talked about wackadoodle presidential candidates, that was and I don't, fun. Th- yeah, I don't think any of these candidates qualify necessarily as wackadoodle, but a lot of them are strange. Can you tell us a little bit about the the lead up to the 1860 election? Why is 1860 so important? Why did we end up with so many parties and all that kind of stuff? So the buzzkillers know the background. Sure. Well, uh, of course, it was the great issue of that election was the issue of slavery. Mm -hmm. And more specifically, what was the status of slavery in the territories, the new lands uh, trying to come into the Union? In the West. Yes. And that had been uh, a struggle for many years. And you can really, there were concerns about it even going back to the potential for such territory in the Constitutional Convention. So it goes back a long time to the Missouri Compromise of 1820. There was a big compromise in 1850. That's how uh, California got into the Union. And of course, the question was, would slavery be able to expand? Those who supported slavery, mainly in the American South, but not entirely so, wanted it to expand. And as uh, horrifying as that may be to us, uh, that was the way they felt, and they saw it as a, a fundamental building block of their society. Whereas, of course, in the North, uh, opinion had increasingly turned against slavery, mm-hmm. even though uh, abolitionists looking to get rid of slave li- slavery were a very small proportion of the population. There was a much larger portion of the Northern population that didn't want slavery to expand. They may not have believed in racial equality. Very few did in that era. Right. But still, they didn't want to have slavery anywhere. They certainly, uh, uh, anywhere near them, uh, in the next county, in the next farm, places like that. So the issue of slavery's expansion uh, became an especially intense issue with uh, the efforts to get Kansas into the Union and whether or not it was a slave or free state. Right. Uh, 
its uh, because of all that controversy, its uh, status as a um, territory remained. It did not become a state until uh, after the uh, Civil War had begun. Right. Well, this the 1860 election seems to me, or used to seem to me when I was studying this period, as the kind of culmination of, of this problem, if you will, or, or uh, controversy that never got solved. The 1820 uh, compromise didn't solve it. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, the 1815 didn't solve it. It's almost as if something big was bound to happen in order for something to, well, to be and, resolved. Yes, and of course, uh, as communication improves in this era, we have uh, more newspapers, bigger newspapers, and the Telegraph. People can get more of a sense of what people are saying and thinking in other parts of the country, and this seems to help bring the disagreement, uh, you know, make it much more prominent hmm. uh, for the time. Now, in 1860, you see the division of the Democratic Party, uh, okay. the nation's oldest president of the oldest political party mm-hmm. uh, from the 1820s or 30s with some roots from previous decades. Anyway, the, uh, uh, the Democrats for a long time had been able to smooth out differences with regard to slavery uh, between Northerners and Southerners. But they couldn't do it in 1860. The uh, leading Democratic candidate for the nomination was uh, Illinois' uh, Stephen Douglas, of course famous from the Lincoln-Douglas debates uh, with uh, Abraham Lincoln. Uh, Douglas was elected to the was reelected to the Senate as a result of those debates or in the aftermath of those debates. Lincoln was defeated, though he improved his his standing, and of yeah, course he right. wins the Republican nomination in 1860. <laughs> but to focus on the Democrats, uh, Douglas tried to find a kind of compromise formula about the expansion of slavery, saying that it should be left up uh, to each the people in each territory whenever they showed up in their uh, you know covered wagons or uh, mm-hmm. at the end of the railhead or however they got out there. Whereas the Southerners increasingly believed, especially after they couldn't get Kansas into the Union as a slave state, that they needed federal protections for their property. Oh, and okay. to property them, being this, yeah, right. slaves were property like anything else, but, and that to stop someone, and people made these kinds of statements at the time, again, however abhorrent they may appear to us, they say, well, I can bring my cattle, I can bring my horses, why can't I bring my slaves into the territory gained, uh, often through fighting in things like the Mexican War and other uh, you know, diplomatic efforts and so on. Is it, is it true that, I mean, so... so under the under state law of those states in the South, the slave states, slaves were regarded as property just like everything else. And so, once you crossed over into a territory, there's in theory they they might not be considered property. Well, I, I think the question was certainly every Southern state had special regulations with regard to slaves. Okay. Uh, they weren't treated the same necessarily as other kinds of property, though. Uh, the right to hold them was maintained uh, uh, quite vigorously. Okay. But once you left your state, and of yeah. course this was a great era of states' rights, once you left your state into a federal territory, mm-hmm. you were under the regulation of whatever laws the Congress had set up in organizing those territories. Mm-hmm. And uh, that was the basis of uh, so-called bleeding Kansas in the 1850s as there was all kinds of election fraud and other problems trying to determine the actual status of Kansas. 
and um, Stephen Douglas because he wanted to maintain the support of his fellow Illinoisans and other Northerners. Right. Um, he refu- He basically backed off from any guarantees of slave property in the territories and said that basically if a territory decided not to protect slavery, mm-hmm. that was okay. That was up to them. It was popular sovereignty, the people ruling in that case. And to the South, if they couldn't get clear federal protection of slavery, right, um, they thought they'd have no chance to expand. They were also very concerned with the Dred Scott decision the Supreme Court, which came out in 1857, where essentially the Supreme Court agreed with the South and said that uh, slave property was the same as any other kind of property, that you didn't, as the the slave Dred Scott was trying to maintain through his attorneys, uh, you didn't become free by moving into free territory. So the South thought it had the Supreme Court's support to have federal guarantees of slave property in the territories, uh, Douglas knew that his fellow Midwesterners and folks throughout the North wouldn't support that because they saw it as once again allowing slavery to expand. And mm-hmm. so as he moved toward the Democratic nomination, and he had majority support in all the different meetings they had, they didn't have primaries at that time, right, but there right. were local meetings and so on. He was clearly the most popular Democratic candidate, but the South opposed him quite vigorously. And the South is sort of down to about maybe 35 to 40 percent of the delegates at one Democratic convention in Charleston, South Carolina. And a good number of those delegates walked out oh. when Douglas refused to accept, Douglas's people refused to accept a platform guaranteeing. Uh, the rights to slave property in the territories. Wow! So then, so the the convention broke up in Charleston. It uh, then both groups went on to Baltimore. There was another walkout. Wait, but Douglas so the, so was the Charleston, nominated. The, the Charleston and, convention actually yes. fails, and they st- they yes, try to start yes, again. Yes, it doesn't. No one is nominated. Oh, okay. uh, at that time, the Democratic Party, and they maintained this for many years in the 1930s, required two thirds uh, vote of delegates to select a presidential candidate, and so they balloted and balloted. They got a ruling from the chair that said that it had to be two thirds of the delegates. Um, who were credited to the convention, not just two-thirds who were there. So even though mm-hmm. a lot of Southerners had walked out, that didn't help Douglas and Charleston. Uh, both the people who walked out and Douglas's supporters then agreed to meet about a month later, I believe it was, in Baltimore, Maryland. Right. And there Douglas was nominated, even though a lot of the Southerners weren't there. And across town at about the same time, the Southern Democrats mainly, there were some from the North, but the mainly the Southern Democrats nominated the sitting vice president, James C. Breckinridge of Kentucky, uh, James Buchanan's vice president, the youngest vice president in mm-hmm. American history. And uh, he was the so-called Southern Democratic nominee, Douglas was the Northern Democratic nominee. And uh, of course, at about the same time, Abraham Lincoln was moving to become the Republican nominee. Okay, but there was one other party too um, we can get into. One one thing that um, the buzzkillers need should, should be reminded of in detail, all the Democrats go to Baltimore, even in, even in two stages, and they have they have the say, they have a different conference uh, conventions there in Baltimore, r- roughly at the same time, and nominate 
uh, different candidates? Have they broken up into two of you know official different parties? Or well, yeah, I mean, in in the act of nominating different candidates. Uh, they had done so, and separate platforms, because of course this originally uh, began as a as a platform, a party platform argument over the position of slavery in the Democratic platform. Again, should the federal government guarantee slave property in the territories or not? Uh, but no, there were two uh, two pretty full conventions, full except for the various delegates who uh, walked out, the Southern delegates mainly, who walked out of the uh, the larger. Uh, Democratic convention, but they right. had uh, wow. two conventions, two candidates. Wow, that just shows us among, and, and there are a million ways in which this, not a million, but many, many hundreds of ways in which it's shown at the time that slavery is really, really such a huge national issue. It's strong enough to break up a big political oh. party, and we haven't seen that in, in you know, very yeah. often American history at all. Yeah, I mean, if we think of uh, 2016, yeah. uh, whatever discontent there may have been among some Republicans over the nomination of Donald Trump, there was a lot of talk about it, of course, fueled by things they didn't have in the 1860s between the internet and Twitter feeds <laughs> and uh, uh, cable news, but uh, the, the, uh, the party worked the way it should. Uh, of course, some some political figures have always dissented at different times from right, whom their right. party has chosen. But as far as an organized resistance, I mean, really what we've seen in 2016 of various office holders refusing to endorse or taking away their endorsement of a presidential candidate uh, is, I mean, we've seen as much as that in 2016 as I've ever run across in my study of American history, yeah. except, of course, for this 1860 sort of, you know, bolting of the convention. There were, in in some conventions, I'll, I'll back up a little bit, there were, there were groups that, uh, you know, sometimes on the issue of slavery or sometimes on the issue of temperance, some of the folks we talked about in our uh, wackadoodle uh, show. Yeah, temperance being uh, the, the attempt ago. to... Uh, to no. uh, uh, place additional restrictions on drinking. That's right. That's yeah. right. And there were some groups that would leave uh, leave their parties based on that. But um, in 1860, it was over this fundamental issue and a major segment of the party uh, bolted. Wow. Um, they, were, uh, they were led in that bolting from the convention by a very interesting figure, um, William Lowndes Yancey, who is mm. um, uh, he's especially interesting to me because I mean, I've spent time in the North and the South. He was born in the South, but his mother remarried uh, a Presbyterian minister from the North. And uh, William uh, never got along with his stepfather and had problems. There was a question of how well the stepfather, the Presbyterian minister, was treating his mother. Yeah. Uh, and uh, William Lowndes-Yancey was a rather difficult person. He got a number <laughs> of duels and so on. And he then went south. He never had anything to, more to do with his stepfather, who later became um, president of Rensselaer Polytechnic Institute oh, wow. uh, in New York State. He was wow. a prominent man, the minister. But uh, Yancey ended up leading, leading uh, the bolt from the convention. He had, oh, right. he had let out a fellow delegate, just one delegate in 1848 out of the Democratic convention over this issue. But in 1860, he was really the leading force in saying, without guarantees for slavery, we'll all, uh, most Southerners will go. And they did and nominated Vice President uh, Breckinridge. Wow! So we have, candidate. so already we have even at the convention stage we have one party that's split. What mm -hmm. then? What happens with the Republicans? They don't split. 
The Republicans don't split. They okay. had uh, uh, they were united on the very issue that divided the Democrats. Uh, if we mm-hmm. turn it on its head, that is that uh, slavery should not expand. Right. Regardless of what the Supreme Court said, they had rejected the Dred Scott decision. And uh, uh, they certainly were not about to give any kind of guarantee for slavery other than the states where it was already in place. Right, okay. But uh, that was the basic issue that kept the Republicans together. Um, And uh, there was one other party that sort of arose out of all this was the Constitutional Union Party. So now we're looking at four parties? Yes. Oh, my goodness. Yes, and a fourth party that... um, uh, there were a lot of folks who saw the Republicans as dangerous, Yeah, that their insistence on no compromise with the expansion of slavery would lead to civil war, happened to be right. Right, yeah, that's um, true. And with a great concern over the divisions in the Democratic Party, and the idea was let's find a way to get together and focus on the union that had made us such a great country uh, four score and I guess uh, four or five years ago. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Uh, and their focus was such, of course, they realized that they couldn't, uh, that they all had differences about slavery. But they managed to paper them over using the Constitution, almost literally so. Because instead of adopting a platform, they just said, our platform is the Constitution. (laughs) And we can all agree what a wonderful document it is, even though we probably would have trouble agreeing exactly what it meant. Right. And they they, uh, sublimated that issue uh, and said their platform was a Constitution. They went on to nominate... What was then the, uh, I'm not sure this is a good or bad thing, but the oldest ticket put together in American history. It's been superseded a few times since. Oh, the oldest in the candidate's the, age? Yes, oh, yes, right, the, right. Age, the age of the candidates. Uh, 64-year-old John Bell of Tennessee. And mm. uh, he was, and of course, it was an interesting ticket in that it had a northerner and a southerner, uh, though the other tickets tried to do that as well. Uh Bell of Tennessee, and Edward Everett of Massachusetts, who has the distinction of probably being the first American ever to receive a PhD degree. He had to go oh, to right. Germany to get it years before, but he was he ends up uh, speaking. He gave the main address a couple years later, three years later at Gettysburg. Uh, he gave the two-hour-plus address that <laughs> afterward Lincoln came up and gave his brief Gettysburg address. And uh, Everett himself admitted after that he sent a note to Lincoln saying, I, I hope I had gotten uh, as close to the meaning of this occasion, the dedication of the cemetery at uh, Gettysburg uh, in my two-hour address as you did in your two minute. brief one. Yes, yeah. But he was the vice presidential candidate and from Massachusetts. So we have this situation now where you've got how many parties are we up to? It seems as a well, there are four presidential four par- candidates four now. Pres- okay. Of course, some parties are better organized than others. <laughs> okay. There are four presidential candidates and vice presidential candidates as well. But they're not nobodies. These are political heavy hitters, Everett Everett, and people like that. Oh, sure, sure, uh, uh, certainly, um, and uh, uh, all figures of uh, of note. Uh, Douglas uh, ran into the problem that the vice presidential candidate he had originally selected, a senator from Alabama, yeah. got 
you know, so much nasty mail about running with Douglas uh, from, I guess, mainly from fellow Southerners that he decided to back out. First, his wife was supposedly excited by the prospect of her husband running, but then I think the nasty mail came in. So he backed out uh, and uh, he was replaced by a Georgia uh, Georgia official, a man named Herschel Johnson, but all of these people were were major figures, and all of these were um, notable party figures in one party or another at different times. A lot of the Constitutional Union folks had been uh, Whigs previously, uh-huh. but the Whig Party fell apart. Most folks went into the Republican Party from the Whig Party, but some were looking for uh, another haven, and uh, that was briefly provided by the Know Nothing, an anti-immigrant party, for yeah. a while in the 1850s, and then the Constitutional Union Party of 1860. But it wasn't like, uh, you know, if, if we can refer back to the wackadoodle show, um, <laughs> there were lots of uh, groups that had very limited support, and we talked about a lot of them then. Yeah. Uh, whereas these were groups getting together over important issues with... Uh, major leaders and were able to get a, a, a significant amount of the vote and and a sizable public following. So that uh, there have been other elections. Uh, I think uh, the election coming up, there will be four or more parties, but only two, uh, with the possible exception of the Libertarian Party getting a small vote. Um, oh yeah, uh, te- make a great deal of difference. T- yeah. Whereas in this case, all four parties. Uh, had a substantial impact on the uh, electoral result. Well, it's interesting you say that about the 2016 election because one of the things we've been hearing throughout this election, especially in the Republican primary when there, when there were um, 12 or whatever candidates, and then uh, uh, when this most recent, recent sort of dust up about whether Trump is going to accept the nomination and all that sort of stuff, is people keep saying never in the history of the republic, never in the history of the republic has, have things been this complicated or this crazy. Well, clearly 1860 was much more oh, divisive oh, it was, than this. And, this is amateurly compared to yes, that. Yes, yes. I mean, frankly, I mean, uh, Donald Trump has suggested at different times that he might not accept right, the right. result of the election. Uh, and for rather general reasons of the election supposedly being rigged in different ways and so on. Uh, in 1860, the, uh, a great many Southern Democrats, though they weren't eager to announce it in public, mm-hmm. uh, threatened or at least hinted, and I think everyone really knew, that if Abraham Lincoln should win— okay. Uh, with his strong Republican resistance to slavery expansion, that there would be efforts to move the southern states out of the Union, to thus breaking up the Union. They knew that was a possibility. Mm. There were certainly Republicans who said, yes, we ought to win and let them try to leave. But this was on basic fundamental principles of government and opposition over it, as opposed to a single candidate's sense that uh, uh, he didn't think he was being treated fairly. So right. it's really the, the, much more the count would be wrong. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Well, a minute ago you were going to go you were going about to talk about the Republican convention and then I interrupted you to ask you something else, but we've got now these three other parties that aren't aren't the Republican party. Yes. What happens is the Republican convention the kind of normal one out of all these other ones? Well, in it uh, there's no um, 
there's some controversy in it, not a great deal. I mean, yeah. the Republican parties, I mean, uh, I think we could say that the Republicans were able to stick together so well because there is this fundamental agreement on the idea that slavery should not be allowed to expand. Right. Now, uh, the other three, three groups uh, in this election s- focus on the disruptive possibilities of what's keeping the Republicans together. Because if slavery can't expand, all kinds of uh, Southerners, and of course this includes uh, what were known as border states, people in Maryland, Kentucky, uh, Missouri, Missouri yeah. and Delaware, mm. uh, that uh, ended up fighting uh, largely on the Union side, though they had people on the other side as well. But they were officially regiments. Union states. Yeah, 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 yeah. They never officially seceded. But uh, people who saw slavery as the basis of Southern civilization, yes, that's right. Um, uh, saw the Republicans just you know by stopping any chance of expansion, slavery would be on the way out. Yeah, it would. Would be- it be twenty years? Would it be forty years? There was talk about gradual abolition of slavery and trying to find a way to finance it. That was discussed uh, in some groups. Yeah, it would be confined to the southeast corner of the United States, and it eventually would die because other that, states would. That was economically the idea because you, you had yeah. to have expansion, and it was seeming to decline in the border states, according mm-hmm. to the way some people looked at it. And so, uh, what the uh, Northern Democrats, Southern Democrats, and the Constitutional Union folks essentially could agree on was this sense that let's not push the issue. And the Republicans were pushing the issue. Oh, okay, of, okay. Of whether or not slavery should be allowed to expand. Douglas thought he had found through popular sovereignty a way to um, – probably make it difficult for slavery to expand, but yeah. at least open the possibility of it doing so. Okay, now let's remind the buzzkillers what was meant by popular sovereignty Well, at the it time. was meant that the people of a territory, right. wasn't a great national vote, but the right. people of a territory could accept slavery if they wanted to. If they voted for it, yeah. Yes, and that, was, that had caused great controversy in Kansas, but there was even talk of the possibility of maybe adding on Cuba to the United States, oh. maybe adding on... Uh, uh, Portions of Mexico that hadn't been taken in the right. Mexican War of 1846 to 1848. Um, so there was the thinking that maybe, you know, other Caribbean islands, uh, you know, there might be some chance to expand slavery. Uh, so it was really the Republicans who were pushing the issue and, and calling the question. And in that sense, they were at least willing to consider the possibility of disunion right. on the side of the Southern Democrats, while certainly someone like the sitting vice president, he was actually in office at the time of the election. He was in office as vice president up until the administration changed in 1861. John C. Breckinridge, the Southern Democratic candidate, uh, of course, at that time, people didn't go out and give all that many speeches, usually, right, right, especially right. for the presidency. It was seen as uh, poor form to go out and campaign, but you would occasionally give uh, speeches at big barbecues and public events, and he never said that he was going. he was in favor of disunion, but he did strongly insist on the need for protection of what were seen as Southern rights, mm-hmm. their right to property mm-hmm. and slaves in federal territories. Um, 
the the campaign uh, one candidate who threw out the usual practice of not not giving speeches uh, for his candidacy was Stephen Douglas. Stephen Douglas essentially toured the country. It, it annoyed a lot of people. It was seen as unseemly by many, but he campaigned vigorously uh, and traveled all across the country. Um, he tried to hide it a little bit by saying he wanted to visit his mother in New York State. She yeah. lived up by the Finger Lakes, and he had grown up there after being born in Vermont. And uh, he said, well, I'm going to visit her, and I've got a uh, relative who's graduating from Harvard. Uh, and so he sort of made a grand tour of the, uh, of the Northeast, and uh, opposition newspapers would, uh, would ask um, – Mrs. Douglas, when her son was arriving, and she would say she doesn't know, and that was a great <laughs> joke at the time. But Douglas, more to his credit, when he realized in the fall of 1860 that the Republicans were likely to win and that all these threats that had been anticipated of the future of the Union were likely to proceed, right. uh, he went uh, to southern states to speak. And all the way down to Alabama, oh, he, wow. uh, okay. uh, he finished the campaign in November of 1860 in, uh, I think it was in Montgomery, Alabama. He then left, uh, I think he took a, took a boat from uh, New Orleans. But he was uh, vigorously campaigning, telling the South that uh, essentially you'd better not leave, that the federal government must be maintained, the union must be maintained, and Northern Democrats okay. will support it too. Okay, uh, so let, let me take a... a a break here because you can't. It's hard to keep track of the players without without a scorecard. So right now we have four parties contesting this presidential election. Let's remind the buzzkillers who 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 the parties are and who their presidential and if we if it matters who their vice presidential candidates are. So you have Lincoln uh, for the Republicans. Yes, and his his vice president was Hannibal Hamlin of Maine. Oh, that's right. Just, yeah, yeah, yeah. Just to put <laughs> his name in there, but yes. And then who's who? who well, the Democrats had split. Right, and Stephen Douglas is the candidate of uh, the Northern Democrats, so to right. speak. I don't think they took on that official name, but right. they were mainly, you know, the, uh, and they had some support outside the North. But and and those two parties the, were, if you will, pro Union. Lincoln and Douglas were both saying to the South, "No, we're going to the Union needs to stick together." Yes. Okay. Yes, and the uh, Constitutional Union Party, uh, right. they were. In favor of the union, they couldn't agree on much else. That was the group that said their platform was a constitution. They didn't <laughs> yeah, want to make yeah. a statement on slavery. Yeah. They didn't want to try a way to compromise or paper it over. Uh, but they supported the union. They said, okay. you know, really, the union's the important thing. Slavery isn't so important. They didn't get all that much agreement, but that was their stance. And then you finally have the Southern Democrats, the ones that had bolted from the uh, Democratic Party, first in the convention in Charleston, then the one in Baltimore. Yeah. And, uh, of course, their standard bearer is the vice president of the United States, John C. Breckinridge. Uh, and he never says, uh, you know, that he is against the union or that he is planning to leave the union. He ends up doing so. Mm -hmm. He becomes a Confederate mm -hmm. general <laughs> shortly after the war begins. But he keeps insisting that the South needs, the, needs respect for slavery right. and slave property in the federal territories. And without that respect, 
um, you know, again, he doesn't give many speeches, right, but right, right. Uh, lots of others, people like William Lowndes Yancey, who I mentioned before, who's right. responsible for, in many ways for the organizing the disruption of the Democratic Party, uh, say, you know, essentially you'd better watch out if you elect Republicans who are so against the expansion of slavery they might well be putting the nation on the road to the abolition of slavery. And, they, of course, they've been warning about this for years, decades. Yeah. And so, so you don't necessarily have a direct secessionist party. They're not, at least they're not using those sort of terms as we are going to secede if this doesn't well, work. Well, I— we don't, But I, it's obvious that they are. There, are. there are speakers for Breckenridge's candidacy— Mm-hmm. that are uh, they're not afraid to mention the possibility of secession because shortly after Lincoln is elected, uh, southern states immediately began organizing secession conventions. Oh, right. And by uh, February of 1861, of course, with Lincoln's election being in November right. of 1860, uh, seven states have left the union by holding conventions, having people vote, the delegates come together, and the seven furthest south states from South Carolina around through Florida uh, and Georgia, Alabama, going all the way to Texas, have seceded from the union even before Lincoln's inaugurated. He's right. not inaugurated till the beginning of March 1861. Yeah, we should By remind that time, people, yeah. he faces seven states who have left the union. We should remind folks that the like then as now, elections were in November, but the inauguration wasn't until March, well into the 20th century. I think FDR's first I, term didn't I, get it until was March. A, there was a constitutional amendment, Link, uh, excuse me, Roosevelt, Franklin Roosevelt, was um, was inaugurated for the first time in 1933 in March. Of course, yeah. the concern then was that the Depression was going on and we needed quick action. That's what really forced people, you know, pushed them to move ahead to say, let's move, move it to the, January. Move the uh, uh, inauguration up so there isn't as much time between election uh, and inauguration, there was even the phenomenon sort of tipping the way the election would go, where the elections in various states, states had elections um, uh, at different times of the year, a number of important ones being in September and October. Oh, no and kidding. And so you'd have state uh, races figured out then. And so what Stephen Douglas realized when he saw the results of the October elections yeah. uh, in places like Pennsylvania, and I believe Ohio had, had October elections as well, the trend looked so good for the Republicans, he knew he wasn't going to win. Oh, okay. And he realized that Lincoln would win, and that's why he went to the South, especially to the Deep South, to say, um, you know, we must preserve the union, that just because basically you lost, <laughs> you're likely to lose yeah. the election and the Southern Democratic candidate is not likely to win, uh, you shouldn't be contemplating secession, as many were. Of course, it, uh, of course, during the campaign, I mean, the Southern Democrats largely said, uh, you know, basically their argument was, well, just elect us. And yeah, there will right. be no problem. So yeah, it yeah, wasn't yeah, a kind yeah, of yeah. kind of overt threat of secession. Well, but but, but but people were fully aware that it was there. But the, so that we, what we're saying is what you're saying is that the southern the southern, if you will, paranoia about what might happen if Lincoln's elected uh, doesn't seem so uh, crazy and immediate if if you realize that 
Lots of states are voting in September and October. These are for state offices, not the presidency? Yes, I, I, I'm, I'm not certain what's the status. I think you could elect congressmen. That there was okay. up to the states of when to elect congressmen. I think in the Constitution, it's only the presidential and vice presidential election, election that, uh, that is, uh, has the constitutional date. It's second uh, Tuesday in November. Yeah. That's why we so have it. so in, one, in, a, in a way, the Southerners, the Southern Democrats, could see it coming because other states in the Northeast, you know, have... Oh, sure, have, sure. Have and, of course, they didn't have much faith in, in Douglas either. Well, I mean, that's right. Had yeah, Douglas yeah, yeah, been yeah. elected, uh, uh, I don't think they would have seceded, but uh, they weren't too happy about Douglas. Certainly, there were some Southerners who wouldn't see a Douglas victory as much better than a Lincoln victory, but at oh, least he true. was seen as a moderate person that right. they might be able to get some guarantees from. But it's basically a question is, is slavery going to be allowed to expand? Or, I mean, for the Republicans, the sense was, no, it must be kept where it is and not be allowed to expand at all. And for a good many Southerners, uh, if slavery didn't expand, it was likely to die. Yes. And even though that might be 20, 40, 60, or 80 years hence, uh, that wasn't enough to uh, to keep them in the union. Yeah, so if they see Maine voting, mm-hmm. uh, sending congressmen, sending radical Republican congressmen, then the, then they, then the, the idea of, of the ginning up of secession doesn't seem so oh. reactionary. Oh, oh it, I, mean, I mean, they saw their interests— at threat, of course, uh, uh, I believe that's where we get the uh, old expression: "As Maine goes, so goes the nation." <laughs> Not that Maine was uh, seen as so much of a uh, bellwether for the rest of the nation, but that it it had its state elections in September. Right. So often, people could get a sense even before the October elections in some states of where the November federal election. Can you uh, imagine what, can, would go. Can you imagine what turnout would be like nowadays if, <laughs> if you could see two months ahead what other what the kind of national trend was and then, you were, well, and then it, well I've already heard reports sort of you know vague reports about early voting and so on yeah. I think there's some attempt to exit exit to poll early voters I think it's That's some attempt weird. to find them and get a sense yeah. of trends though yeah. though you don't really know who votes and how accurate their uh, um, how much their vote reflects the overall vote but. Okay, well, before we get into the the actual results of the election, what happens on, on, on in November, how these politicians and these parties react to it, um, we need to take a little break because we're very, very fortunate here at the Institute that we have a new sponsor, Harry's Razors. And I notice uh, one of the famous stories about Lincoln is that he was clean-shaven in, in the 1850s, and then when after being elected, he decided to wait and wait, you know grow a beard while he was waiting for an inauguration day. Right. Uh, yes, I believe it. Uh, uh, if I remember the story well enough, I think it was a little girl wrote to him and said, you'd look good in a beard. You'd look more presidential uh, in a beard. Well, maybe. <laughs> I'm not sure the sort of sense of presidential, you, you, you know, but I think it was that, you know, well, of course, Lincoln always made a good deal of his so-called homely appearance. Well, so that's maybe right. that was, yeah. that was part yeah. of it. But all the candidates, as, as we've been looking at their, their pictures in this, in this discussion, they're all clean shaven. That all changes after so clearly, they were, uh, they were, if not early patrons of, of Harry's, sort of, sort of the, the inspiration for Harry's. Okay, then. Well, now well, if, if maybe if they had had uh, Harry's, there wouldn't have been the trend to beers in the, um, <laughs> in the latter portion of it. Perhaps, yeah. perhaps we can, we can. Well, I'll tell you, Buzzkillers, it's easy for me to recommend Harry's razors because I've been using them for a while, even before they offered to sponsor the show, even before they asked me to do these. 
advertisements. I love Harry's for all kinds of reasons. The main reasons for me personally, my personal experience with shaving is, first of all, they're great. The blades are great. The handles are great. The, the, the lotions and the balms are all great. And we'll get to that in a minute. But I always hated the fact that when you went to the drugstore or the grocery store or wherever to get replacement blades for your razors, it, it, they were a fortune, first of all, and they were in a locked case and you had to call over some guy with a key and it took forever. It was like getting into Fort Knox to get a, a, a pack of razors and then you ended up spending more money than you possibly wanted to. And it, it just used to drive me crazy. So when Harry's came out, I thought, ah, this is for me. They not only provide the best razors out there, I think, they send them to you. But it's even better than that because they don't fool you. They don't jerk you around. Big razor companies always make a small change in, in the razor blade or the handle or something. They come out with this newest version and then they raise their already high prices. Harry's doesn't do that. They don't believe in what's called upcharging. That's why they make their razors even better and they're keeping the, the prices exactly the same. Harry's five blade razors now include a softer flex hinge for more comfortable glide, a trimmer blade for those hard to reach places, I use that a lot, a lubricating strip, and a textured handle for more control when it's wet. And they're still just $2 a blade compared to the $4 or more you pay at the drugstore. How can they do this? They do it because they own the factory in Germany where they make the blades. Harry's can produce high quality razors themselves and sell them online for half the price of the rip-off razors you get in the drugstore. Harry's is so confident in the quality of their blades and the quality of their razors, they'll send you their popular free trial set, which comes with a razor, five-blade cartridge, and shaving gel. Get your free trial set when you subscribe and just pay $3 for shipping. It's nothing. Plus, they're giving you a special offer just for my listeners. Enter the code BUZZKILL, that's two Zs and two Ls, at checkout, and you'll get post-shave balm for free with your order. This balm really makes a difference. It makes you look a lot better for the rest of the day than the old way I used to do it, which is shave and go. So go to harrys.com right now and enter the code BUZZKILL, again, two Zs, two Ls, and when, when the checkout comes up and you claim your free trial set and your post-shave balm, that's harrys.com. The code is BUZZKILL, H-A-R-R-Y-S.com. Go there now, and you'll be happy for the rest of your life, buzzkillers. So we're back from Harry's then. What happens in the actual election, during the actual election day? Well, the Republicans, of course, win. Uh, Lincoln mm -hmm. does not get uh, quite 40% of the vote. I think it's 39.8 or 6. Oh, which seems uh, low. Of the vote. But of course, but of four course it's all when it's all concentrated in the North. Wow. Uh, in that day, on election day... Um, on election days in that era and for some time afterward, you had to uh, – well, the ballots were provided by the local party organization. Oh, so, no kidding. Uh, oh, no, no, no. That's that's the case. Uh, it's, not, it's not a secret ballot in the sense that we have it, and it's not yeah. provided by government. There are often people from the other parties around monitoring things, which is still part of what keeps our, uh, um, our elections uh, uh, honest uh, uh -huh. currently. But – you would go to a representative of the party that was there at the poll and you would take the ticket. Uh, if you didn't want to vote for everyone on that ticket, uh, you would have to scratch out one name and write another. Oh, and uh -huh. so, uh, and there were often sort of fights over, you know, uh, 
basically you could see who was picking up different tickets. And then there were questions of the floating vote, people floating from place to place. Uh, these were common throughout American elections. Yeah. Unfortunately, it wasn't a special problem of 1860. You mean people voting in multiple multiple places? Yes, or trying to, yeah. trying to. And of course, there are people from the other parties around trying to sort of watch and limit that, uh, though it certainly did occur. It's not yeah. as if uh, uh, it never occurred. But um, for Lincoln... Uh, he got practically no votes in the South because most Southern states would not countenance the organization of any kind of Republican Party that could support him. Uh, I think he got a few in Virginia, maybe a few in Tennessee, but really wow. almost no Southern votes. Does so that, does that mean he has a majority of the Northern vote. <laughs> but does, it, does that mean there might have been no or very few Republican Party organizations on the ground in the South, and so there were no link, literally no paper there, link There were ballots? no ballots. If you that had, had the name? nerve oh to goodness. say, I want to vote for Lincoln, you would have a hard time finding the ballot uh, to give it. And also, if you announced that... Yeah, <laughs> uh, publicly, there's a good chance you could be. I mean, there were cases of people. I'm not sure of voters doing that and getting beaten up or tarred mm-hmm. and feathered. But if people, there were cases of Northerners who had said favorable words about Lincoln or were rumored to to you know that they were going to do so, and groups would you know beat them up, uh, send them on a train out of town. Various salesmen found it very difficult oh, uh, yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. in that in that yeah. period and so on. So. Um, uh, what the opposition to Lincoln had tried to do was a strategy called fusion to bring their parties together into a kind of anti-Lincoln vote in different northern states. Uh-huh. Um, uh, bring uh, you know Douglas and Breckinridge together on occasion. Bring either or both together with the Constitutional Union Party. Mm-hmm. And while that did occur to some extent in some northern states, it was not a successful strategy. Lincoln won. Um, most of the northern states, right. and that was enough to uh, win the Electoral College vote uh, to get the majority that was needed uh, in the Electoral College to win. So we've got Lincoln winning, and then we have now three losing parties who could possibly be discontented or or contest the election or do something no. else that says they're not going to re- uh, accept the legitimacy yeah. of the election. Yeah, but, but there wasn't I don't I don't recall uh much of an effort to say the results were not accurate. Oh, so there wasn't quibbling but there over was votes. a sense that okay. constitutionally and really at a more important level, this yeah, is a yeah, rather different yeah. level than is being currently discussed in uh, this year's election. But the sense was that uh, the election results would not be accepted by Southerners who went as soon as the election results were clear, they went to organize conventions to take their states out of the Union. And that was, of course, what the seven states had managed to do in the next few months after the election. Mm-hmm. Uh, South Carolina, the first state to secede, and of course also the place where the first shots were fired in the Civil War, Right. Uh, South Carolina uh, announced its secession, well, and had a vote of a convention, and of course these were elected delegates. It was all perfectly democratic with a small d. Um, uh, yeah. But South Carolina's convention decided to secede before Christmas. Okay. of 1860. So they went to work on that whole process right after the election. So that I'd say that's really the ultimate case of refusing to accept the results of the election. Because, of course, accepting the results of the election would be a matter of saying, well, Lincoln won. We may not like Lincoln. 
We may have fears of what's going to happen to slavery in the future, but we'll see. We'll let him get inaugurated and see what he does and wait yeah. for, as many Southerners did, uh, especially further north in the South, the so-called Upper South, people were waiting for some kind of overt act against slavery. Right. Or they were also, once a few Southern states had seceded, they were waiting for an overt act against those states that had seceded. Okay, um, okay. But instead of doing that, in the lower seven southern states that did secede, they really went, you know, went to work almost immediately uh, to, I mean, they realized Lincoln had won. They yeah. didn't say that he hadn't won, but they said because he won, they did not any longer want to be part of the United States. They did not um, accept his accession to the presidency. Okay, so so we want to stress or, or restress that this is not uh, contesting about the actual the vote and the rig, rigging the vote or anything. I thought, although probably rigging went on, but but people were saying yes. People were were saying yes. We lost the vote, but we don't we don't contest the numbers. We contest the ideological aspect of it. we don't know we don't want to live under this yes. party yes. no matter what. Was, well, and of course you know you know some people may feel that way in two thousand sixteen. Well, except, uh, yeah, true, ultimately, true. regardless of how that uh, result is figured out, whether they believe it or not. Yeah. So it can have a kind of deeper significance. Uh, but really, uh, I think there were a good number of people who had voted for Breckenridge yeah. that once they found out that he had lost, they were perfectly happy to move out of the Union seeing that Lincoln had won. Wow. That they were not uh, especially disturbed with the result because they were so eager to yeah. uh, move towards secession. So, but, but what's also fascinating to me about the way we've talked about this episode and planning it and and stuff is that I mean it's amazing the personalities and personality certainly involved in this 2016 election and the one who keeps saying that he will or will won't accept the. The result, and the system is regular. No, he might not. Yeah, he, he might, might not, depending, yeah. depending on the result. <clears throat> but certainly, everybody talks about his personality, and it is very distinctive in terms of politicians. And, and I'm just wondering what what the personalities of these losing uh, uh, um, candidates in 1860 were like, and did, did that did that have anything to do with how they reacted to the to the uh, to the election polls well, as they came in? I'd, I'd say really the most interesting and historically significant reaction. Mm-hmm. was the reaction of Stephen Douglas. Oh, right. um, Stephen Douglas, of course, had gone to the South uh, at the end of the campaign, basically warning the South that Democrats would stick with um, the Union and mm-hmm. would support any efforts, uh, you know, basically that if li- – and he was asked questions directly while he was campaigning. And this was somewhat somewhat new for a presidential candidate uh, right, because right. usually, actually usually campaign, such yeah. things would only be discussed in writing. But he was asked at various, uh, various stops when he was giving a speech uh, uh, – uh, what about the prospect of Lincoln's election? So it's, and, and Douglas said, well, uh, for Lincoln to be elected fairly, um, that makes him the president. Yeah. And that if states seceded as a result of that, they should be coerced into the union. That secession was not legal. 
Yeah. It was not acceptable. Breakup of the union could not be contemplated. And whether someone in the North had been a Douglas voter or a Lincoln voter or perhaps a Bell voter, right? Um, many of those Northerners, most of those Northerners, Douglas was confident, would follow him and support the efforts to keep the union together if secession occurred. Okay. Now, after the election, uh, Douglas... Uh, went back into Congress. There were numerous attempts at compromise that were ultimately unsuccessful, yeah. largely because the Republicans uh, would not accept anything that would countenance, countenance an expansion of slavery or allowing or protecting slavery, special rights to slavery in any place except the states where it was already held. Right. Uh, Lincoln was willing to accept that because as far as he said, he said he had never threatened slavery where it had the states where it was right. uh, entrenched. That was up to the states. Uh, so he's willing to accept that, but he wasn't willing to accept uh, various other measures that might have enabled slavery to expand. Douglas, while he was interested in compromise, ended up supporting Lincoln uh, rather vigorously. Oh. And uh, uh, basically, I think the sense was that uh, at least let him get into office. Right, right. Uh, and Lincoln got into office in March. Uh, his concern, and where, of course, the break that led to Fort Sumter, Sumter occurred, uh, the beginning of the Civil War, was that he felt compelled as president to uh, hang on to federal property in the South. Oh, okay. Uh, Fort Sumter was one of a number of federal forts in the South. Some had actually even been uh, surrendered by various commanders and so on, who then left and went, uh, you know, went home. And yeah. some of them ended up being Southern generals. But with Fort Sumter, it was out in the middle of the harbor, as I'm sure uh, yeah. many of our uh, listeners uh, you know, have had the opportunity to visit. It's a wonderful place to visit. Um, and uh, South Carolina wanted the federal government to turn it over. Yeah. President Buchanan had refused to turn it over once South Carolina seceded. Remember Lincoln, Buzz Killers, but yes, Buchanan's the, the still, previous president, still up, president up until while March is, of 1861. Yeah, right. Lincoln takes over, and he's not going to surrender Fort Sumter. Yeah. There's various talk about trying to reprovision it. There's even, uh, you know, there's a ship sent by Buchanan that uh, South Carolinians fire shots at it, and it turns around and <laughs> leaves the harbor. Uh, Lincoln is planning some kind of relief for Fort Sumter, when South Carolina fires on it and reduces the fort, conquers it, and and uh, the troops surrender, but essentially the flag right. of the Union has been fired upon. And how does, uh, Lincoln, how does Lincoln react to that? Lincoln uh, calls for volunteers, 90-day volunteers for the emergency of the rebellion. Oh. And Douglas is fully supportive of that. Douglas says you ought to call for more volunteers. I believe Lincoln had asked for 75,000, and uh, Douglas said you ought to have 200,000. Uh -huh. And that's really sort of the beginning of of the uh, what become the great Union forces that mm -hmm. will end up conquering the South over the course of the next four years. Um, but Douglas is fully supportive uh, of Lincoln. Uh, but what happens uh, with the firing on Fort Sumter and Lincoln's request for volunteers, he sends that request out to the states. Because again, right. it's not just something the very the minuscule uh, U.S. Army can handle. Mm -hmm. Well, he even sends it out to the uh, the uh, states that have seceded. 
And of right. course, they right. have various sort of nasty responses uh, <laughs> uh, to him uh, because they don't recognize his authority. But he also sends it out to, of course, the northern states, but in addition, the uh, northern southern states, the upper south states of Virginia, right. North Carolina, Tennessee, and Arkansas. They haven't left the Union right. by um, the firing on Fort Sumter. But once Lincoln calls on them to send troops that will, in one way or another, be sent to conquer their fellow southern states, this is the overt act that many people in those states have been waiting for. Oh, And oh, they oh, very oh, quickly oh, oh. move to secession conventions. Sometimes they reconvene conventions that had already met. Sometimes they have votes. It's different in the different states. But within the next uh, couple months, uh, Arkansas... Tennessee, North Carolina, and Virginia leave the Union. Oh, okay. So, so, it's so not, that's the lineup in the Civil War. So the, the, the idea that, that at least I had thought, and, and maybe is a misconception in lots of people's minds, is that the firing on Fort Sumter was enough to get all of the Confederate states to go. If There may have been the first seven and the next seven, but that's actually, it's, for the next group, it's Lincoln's reaction to the firing yes. on Fort Sumter. Wow. Yes, because wow. again, they are waiting for wow. the overt act. So a lot of people probably had voted for Breckenridge or had voted for uh, Bell. Um, they may well have been very much pro-slavery. Uh, Bell himself yeah. was a slaveholder, rather mm -hmm. substantial slaveholder. He had uh, um, an iron um, uh, factory mm -hmm. and uh, slaves worked at that. So he was a rather prosperous uh, slaveholder. But various people throughout the South uh, at least were willing to wait in a sort of more moderate position, yeah. wait not just for Lincoln's election, but wait for Lincoln to take power and see what he would do. And had Lincoln said, well, Fort Sumter's been conquered, and that's too bad, and yeah. they fired on the flag, but we just have to deal with it, yeah. uh, then, then they would have waited longer. But they, but they saw his request for troops hmm. that would be used against the other southern states. They saw that as the overt act that would take them out of the Union. How dare he? You know, Because for a good many people, the sense was secession may be bad. It may yeah. even be illegal. It isn't clear from the Constitution. Right. As to, you know, there were different clauses cited by different partisans of the different views, but it isn't clear in the Constitution. Nothing in the Constitution says once you uh, become part of the Union, you can never go. Yeah, There's yeah, no clear yeah, statement yeah. like that. But, of course, the North insisted that that was what Union meant, and the South insisted, by and large, that that wasn't what Union mm. meant, that mm. Union was a, was, a, was a free compact that you could get out of. So... Um, for a good many of the more moderate Southerners, once Lincoln was had shown that he would react against uh, Southern states leaving the Union and taking over property within their boundaries, yeah, um, then the Civil War was um, was on its way. And there were similar arguments in uh, uh, the so-called border states of uh, Kentucky, Maryland, Missouri, yeah. Delaware, and uh, Missouri mm -hmm. um, about uh, should they support this or not. Um, one one of our candidates who is uh, affected by this was uh, John C. Breckinridge. Right, right. Uh, after he left the vice presidency, that would be at the at Lincoln's inauguration. Right. Um, 
he had already been elected to the Senate from Kentucky, the U.S. Senate from Kentucky. Oh, so he was able to run for Senate and vice president. He, he at was the same elected time? to the yeah. Senate for that term. The Congress didn't meet as often in that day, uh-huh. and whether that's a good or a bad thing, we <laughs> can we can uh, discuss some other time. But um, uh, he had already won that seat. Congress wasn't going to meet yet, but once it met, uh, Breckinridge was was uh, one of Kentucky's two senators. But yeah. there he disliked the course of action of the Lincoln administration as they're trying to raise money for more troops and all kinds of other things. And he retains that seat mm-hmm. with amidst more and more concern until Kentucky, at least to Southern views, is invaded right. in the fall of 1861. There are troops moving across. Uh, um, Ulysses S. Grant is one of the main generals involved in this, uh, across into western Kentucky and mm-hmm. eventually into western Tennessee. Right. And at that point, uh, Breckinridge declares that Kentucky has been invaded. There are many other people, of course, thinking along similar lines. And what Breckinridge does is uh, basically join the Confederacy, uh, while at the same time uh, Union troops are looking for him. Uh-huh. Uh, uh, they would have liked to have captured him uh, if they could, but they failed to do so. And Breckinridge serves as a um, Confederate general mm. through the rest of the war. Uh, he even escapes, knowing that as as a former vice president, he is subject to you know their indictments uh, out out on him for treason. Sure. He escapes at the end of the war, first trying to protect uh, President uh, Jefferson Davis, but later after Davis is captured, he goes down through Florida, uh, escapes from the coast of Florida, where I've spent um, uh, many a pleasant day, but he escapes from the Florida Atlantic coast over to the Bahamas. He travels to Europe. He gets to meet with the Pope. Uh, and he does not return to the United States until the Christmas 1868 pardon of all former Confederate uh, officials offered by then-President Andrew Johnson. So that's what happens to uh, uh, to Breckinridge. Uh, John uh, Bell— Hang, hang, hang oh, on, sure. let's, uh, cause have we actually finished Douglas? No, we have not. Yeah. No, we have not. Uh, oh, so let me let me reintroduce so that as back a, to that as sure. a as a well. Douglas seems the one is the one Democrat who wants to say retain the union. What? How does how does that end? How does he end? Let me let me sure. So so back to Douglas. Douglas is the one one of the losing candidates who wants to retain the union. What then? What then? Ultimately, what happens to him in his efforts to keep things together, so to speak? Well, um, Douglas. Douglas has a lot of influence as the uh, northern Democratic candidate for mm-hmm. president. Many people feel just like he did, uh, and a lot of them were um, were office holders and so on in the north. Yeah. So a good number of northern Democrats do support Douglas, just as they did in the election. And Douglas is as supportive as he can be as troops are called for in the wake of Fort Sumter, right. calls on his fellow Democrats uh, to uh, support the flag, to support the Union. But uh, Douglas uh, becomes ill in uh, the spring of 1861 and uh, passes away before his 50th birthday, I believe. Oh, right. Let's see. I'm not sure if he gets to—I I think he gets to his 48th birthday, but not to his 49th. 
And uh, he was known as, uh, like a great many politicians are, uh, very much a, uh, the old phrase was, hail fellow, well met. Uh, and drinker. he liked to party <laughs> and he liked uh, to drink and he traveled a great deal and travel is far more arduous, obviously, in those days. Yeah. And he had spoken vigorously for the Union, even in the South at the end of the campaign. Right. And so uh, he dies in June of 1861. But a great many Democrats uh, over the next four years of the Civil War will sometimes part company with the Lincoln administration and yeah. how vigorously it is prosecuting the war and uh, um, uh, how fairly it's dealing with Democrats. Mm -hmm. But um, still the Democratic Party remains and uh, never really – well. There's controversy in 1864 over how vigorously it should support the war, and there's sort of a kind of split. Uh, the party doesn't split into different candidacies, but their presidential candidate in 1864, the Union General George McClellan, oh, who yeah, was a yeah, good deal yeah. more conservative than Lincoln, is uh, nominated, but his platform is pretty much put together by the so-called peace Democrats mm -hmm. who keep calling for uh, peace – as quickly as possible. Mm -hmm. And Lincoln fears that if he's not reelected in 1864, of course he is, yeah. but that if he's not elected in 1864, he will have to do the very best to get a decent settlement of the war, finish the war militarily before right. the Democrat, before the peace Democrats can uh, influence McClellan to end it in terms that might not have ended slavery, might not have ended it, it despite oh, the wow. emancipation proclamation wow. in some sense or pay compensation to slaveholders, all kinds of different issues that come up during the war. But of course, Lincoln is reelected, and uh, while he is murdered shortly after his second inauguration, the Republican Party is still in power for the Reconstruction period. Okay, so we, we, we know obviously what happens to Lincoln after the war. We know what now what happens to Douglas and his wicked ways and he departs this this mortal coil. Departs mm -hmm. this mortal coil. Yes, he does. What about the other two can of the other well, two parties? Well, Breckenridge, Breckenridge yeah. joins the um, uh, joins the uh, Confederate Army and oh, right. is yeah, a yeah. general and and serves uh, gallantly and uh, has some wounds and uh, you know deals with a whole bunch of struggles through that. And because he was had been vice president of the United States, having made an oath and U.S. senator, having yeah. made an oath to protect and defend the Constitution, he's especially – well, he actually is indicted as a traitor, mm -hmm. but he is never captured. Uh, and that's when he goes uh, from Florida. That's a uh, At the end of the yeah. war, he goes down through Florida, even into southern Florida along the coast. Uh, gets a boat. Uh, I think he sort of half hijacks a boat. Uh, <laughs> to, it's a wonderful story. It's a fascinating story to get to the Bahamas. And from there, he gets to Europe and travels a good deal. Uh, but he is, um, he's reunited with his family in Canada. Yeah. And then he receives a pardon on in Christmas of 1868 as President Andrew Johnson, just before his term ends, that's always a kind yeah. of uh, prospect at the end of presidential terms, pardons for various things. Uh, Breckinridge was pardoned, and okay. um, he never returned to politics, and he lived until 1865. Now, our final candidate, um, John Bell of yeah. Tennessee, Bell... Um, he works hard for compromise after he loses, 
no compromise occurs. Again, the Republicans will not oh, compromise right. on this right. issue okay. of extending federal protections to slavery. And so Bell works for compromise. It's not successful. And when Tennessee decides to leave the Union, okay, Tennessee, one of these last four states to leave the Union after the firing on Fort Sumter, yeah. uh, Bell decides to support the South. And many of his uh, supporters in the Constitutional Union Party are appalled by that. Yeah. But that's what he does. And because uh, they have the Constitutional Union Party. Yeah. 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 Right, yeah. Right, he right. ends up turning against yeah, uh, okay. the Union. And um, of course, by that time, he's, uh, I believe at that point, he's uh, 64, 65 years old. Yeah. Uh, and he only lives, I believe it's two more years. I don't think he lives through the whole war. Hmm. Uh, but he had uh, he had backed away from his focus on the union for its own uh, for its <laughs> own sake in you know with Tennessee leaving the union yeah. in 18, uh, 1861. So really none of these figures I mean Lincoln is taken by death um, oh, yeah. uh, at the end of the war with the assassination uh, so he doesn't uh, really make it beyond the war. Uh, Douglas, of course, is ill. Uh, Breckenridge is around, but he's first trying to stay out of jail, and uh, <laughs> then he's, uh, um, you know, he uh, works for a number of railroads, and he's an attorney and so on in Kentucky. But he doesn't have a career after the war, and Bell's career ends with his. Uh, I wouldn't say it's quite. I think for many of his supporters, it looked like a repudiation of the Union, right? Uh, with Tennessee leaving it. Wow. Uh, and of course, there's also the the vice presidential candidate for the Constitutional Union Party, Edward Everett, right? Um, who had been president of Harvard and had a very distinguished career, held cabinet posts. Uh, he was very famous as an orator even mm-hmm. before he ran for vice president. He had uh, made a lot of money. I've seen an estimate of up to seventy thousand dollars he had collected. Wow. For. Uh, giving speeches on Washington to various civic groups in the 1850s, collecting the money and not taking it himself, even though he was renowned as an orator, but he turned it over to the fund to buy Mount Vernon and oh, no keep kidding. it as, keep Washington's home as a, uh, uh, as, you know, really the nation's perhaps most famous historic site or one of its most famous historic sites. Hmm. Hmm. Uh, Everett works on that. Uh, through the 1850s, before he's even nominated for vice president. Afterward, he continues to do that. Uh, he's still in great demand as an orator, and of course, he gets the call in you know to speak in November of 1863 at the dedication of the Gettysburg Cemetery, the National right. Cemetery there. Uh, and he gives, uh, you know, he's always given. Um, I think he gets sort of a bad rap in history because everyone talks about how lengthy, as we did, as we kidded about a little while ago, yeah. uh, his lengthy speech versus Lincoln's very brief and brilliant Gettysburg Address. Of course, what, uh, what Everett, a classical scholar and a classically trained scholar in Europe, was trying to do, he essentially com- compared the struggle at Gettysburg going into it in great detail. It's really a, you know, a good historical account of the battle, but comparing it to battles of Greek 
uh, Greek times, I believe the Battle of Marathon was oh, something right. yeah, he yeah, compared yeah. it to. And so he went into great, uh, what was expected at that time as an entertainment was a very lengthy speech by yeah. this wonderful orator. So it wasn't as if they had said, well, keep it short, uh, Mr. Everett, <laughs> and we'll have the president too. We've got to get him on. It yeah. was That was what was expected of him, and he delivered on that. Um, but he died, uh, I believe he died in 1866. So oh, okay. uh, again, um, you know, since it was the oldest, since the Constitutional Union ticket was the oldest ticket to that time in of candidates in age in American history, uh, that neither of them um, uh, had much of a career after 1860 uh, shouldn't be much of a surprise. <laughs> well, it seems to me just as as we were going through these these individual candidates, especially the the Democrats or or the um, the pro Southern candidates, it seems as if they're not the ones who go out and foment rebellion after the election of 1860. It seems as if it is the Southerners back in the state legislatures. It is not sort of a I mean, on the stump speech, which of course you say that they're not doing anyway, but it's not like they're giving out the ideas that if, if, if I'm not elected, I am going to lead the South. It's, it's no, actually the people back you're home. Right, yeah. You're right. That's because each of these people had, um, let's see, each of them were, uh, were federal office holders. Uh-huh. Uh, I mean, of course, Douglas, that Douglas should be supportive of the Northern point of view isn't too much of a surprise. No, sure, yeah. But if we look at uh, Bell, Bell had, had served in Congress and the Senate and cabinet posts uh, for the United States uh, back before the time of Andrew Jackson. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, similarly, Everett, even though a Northerner had a had a, well, while he was Northerner, he had a variety of posts, some state, uh, but also some federal posts. Yeah, uh, and um, with Breckinridge, who of course was the youngest, he was the youngest vice presidential candidate in American history. Uh, Breckinridge, though a young man, had held federal office, and of course had been the vice president. Yeah, and I think each of them would say they had a strong commitment to the union. Now Breckinridge's commitment fell apart with what he would say as the invasion or federal coercion yeah. of his state of Kentucky, which he wanted, um, which he wanted to um, uh, at least try to find, and there was talk about this at the time, though it wasn't successful, a kind of neutrality in all of this. Oh, right, he yeah. didn't want to be coercing his southern states, fellow southerners, yeah. back into the Union. His preference would be for the North just to let it go. Yeah, And I'm sure that's how John Bell felt when he saw um, Tennessee as being, at least in his view, coerced. So each of these people had a strong affection for the Union. None of them were in the position of someone like, and I mentioned before, William Lowndes Yancey, that yeah. uh, perhaps because of disagreements with his stepfather, uh, became what they called a Southern fire eater, perhaps yeah. the most important, where he would, he would take whatever conflict was likely to come to maintain Southern rights. And so um, that was uh, that might have been the focus of any number of people and more locally oriented politicians. Right. Uh, though Yancey served uh, briefly in Congress, um, whereas you had these federal politicians, even Southerners like Bell and Breckinridge, that. Um, uh, at least they were hoping to hold the union together. Right. And when push came to shove, they might have, uh, you know, backed away from it. But uh, they saw a real power in the union 
um, from the southern side, uh, like so many others did from the north. Well, there you have it, Buzzkillers. It's not true when you hear on all the various news channels, especially on cable, that not in the 200-some-odd years of our of our republic have have people uh, uh, disrespected or, or negated the the uh, results of a presidential election. Not only did this happen in 1860, but it helped accelerate the process towards the worst domestic event in, in, our, in our history, the Civil War. It only remains for me to thank Professor Perry Blatz for coming in to the bunker and to the Institute to enlighten us on this absolutely fascinating and very timely topic. Thank you, Professor. Well, it's a, uh, it's a delightful bunker and a delightful experience. <laughs> and um, I just think uh, American history provides an important basis when we start thinking of the importance of our democracy, right. its stability, and what an election really means. And if we deal with that in a kind of offhanded way um, and kind of a uh, cable news punditry uh, sort of approach, right. uh, we'll be misled. Right. Well, wise words, Buzzkillers. And don't forget to support us on Patreon. Go to ProfessorBuzzkill.com. Patreon helps the show stay afloat, pays all our bills. Follow us on Twitter and Facebook and Instagram. Remember, please go to iTunes and rate us and review us. Talk to you next week. Bye.